Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Juan. He's the CEO of Bupos. Bupos helps talented buyers acquire businesses and brokers close their sale mandates by committing flexible financing for buying e-commerce and software as a service businesses. Join us today as we discuss why create Bupos. What do they look for as funding criteria and what are the key factors it takes to get an acquisition of an e-commerce or software as a service company funded? Welcome to the show, Juan, man. It's great to have you here today. Thank you. Great to be here to run. Awesome. So, you know, where I always like to start is kind of getting people to know you, know where you're from, what you're up to and stuff. Can you tell us a little bit like kind of your origin story? How did you get into mergers and acquisitions and stuff? And then we're going to jump right into uh, Bupos. But first, let's just talk a little bit about kind of what drew you to create something like this. What is your background? Makes sense. I mean, I... I like to say that I'm a finance guy, but at the same time, I'm a tech guy. I studied engineering and uh, I remember that uh, my final degree uh, project was uh, an automated trading system. So we looked at uh, public companies, we looked at number of metrics and we had a system that invested automatically in these companies. So I've always had this idea of uh, using data for uh, making investment decisions. And then over time, then I, fresh from school, I joined uh, an investment bank. I joined Merrill Lynch. I spent a couple of years there. Uh, then I joined a, a local private equity firm. And throughout all that time, I, I always had this feeling that uh, there was a factor or a level of randomness in the way people access financing or, or get invested in their companies. And I, I always wondered why. Like, it could be Maybe you were not inspired on that uh, investor meeting, or maybe uh, you didn't have the right connections at the right time, or maybe your business was really good, but then something happened and, and you didn't get access to that financing. And I felt it was somehow unfair. So I, I always had that in the back of my mind. Then I joined a company called Cabify. So Cabify is like Uber for Spain and, and Latin America. I was the CFO there for like eight years. Um, and during that time, I, well, I got to raise like 500 million, uh, US dollars in, in funding for the company. And again, I, you know, several times I had the experience of, uh, being about to close a funding round and then something popped up in the last minute and, uh, and then it didn't happen. And again, this kind of also inspired me to, to get this. I mean, th- there was something to be done with this, uh, factor of, of randomness in getting financing. Um, so at some point in time, I, but that was the end of 2020. I learned that they had all these, these big companies, Thrasio, Perch, et cetera, uh, that were acquiring Amazon businesses by looking at metrics that they could extract from their marketplaces. And I thought, well, this is exactly what I was looking for for the last 20 years. So I, my first thought in late 2020 was let's start an aggregator and let's uh, invest and let's uh, acquire businesses just like Thrasio does. And then I got in touch with all these uh, business brokers that were selling online businesses. And uh, I, I learned a lot of what was going on there. So you had all these buyers looking at businesses. In many instances, they just didn't have access to financing because they were not like big firms like Thrasio. I myself 
experience, travel, raising money for, for this particular use. And I thought there's, there's, there's a big opportunity here. We can help a lot of people acquire a business if we're able to structure a financial product that is easy to use, that is um, quick and, uh, and that is actionable using uh, an online uh, process. So, so that's exactly why I started Bupo. So this came to life uh, in early 2021. We started lending in around April 2021. And so far, here we are. I mean, we're we're uh, we've funded like thirty people uh, now. They all are in the mood of of acquiring more businesses, and we we're getting raised reviews. It's uh, apparently we're doing something that is definitely useful. So so happy to be here. Awesome! I appreciate you coming. So it's interesting when we first reached out. Um, I had a you know you and you and I had a little bit of an interview beforehand because I kind of wanted to see what it is you did and how it worked, mainly because inside of the space of mergers and acquisitions, and when I say that, we're not talking about these billion dollar deals, you know, that the investment banks go after, you know, my audience and the group, the people that I run with, were that what we call a small to medium business, you know, mergers and acquisitions. So um, if you look at that, it's not uncommon. It's fairly easy to get funded for asset rich businesses. So you, you have the small business administration, you have stuff like that. So if we have provable assets, um, and in some cases, even really solid contracts, like recurring revenue contracts with the government and stuff, you can use those as collateral for certain types of funding to, to buy the business. But in your space, e-commerce stores, software as a service acquisitions and stuff, it's the, I guess the rumor kind of is you better have the money in your pocket or you got to go raise private capital from investors to do it because there's, there wasn't, you know, there just isn't that much institutional money laying around uh, geared up and ready to learn those spaces. So uh, let's talk a little bit about kind of what you create. What did you see? You covered a little bit of it just then, but what did you see in the marketplace and, you know, why create a solution to, to that? I, what's the what's the scope of it I mean, i'm sure you guys did some research on like what's the scale and scope of behind e-commerce and software as a solution business for sale out there today makes sense i mean in in general you said it right sba is looking for assets uh, or is looking for personal guarantees in many instances we've seen um, e-commerce businesses and SaaS businesses qualify for sba but then you need to use i mean you need to give personal guarantees so that's let's say that you're uh, borrowing one million dollars and then the business doesn't go well uh, for whatever reason then you'll end up paying that debt for life with your own assets so i i think that basically entrepreneurs um they they take a lot of risk they take low salaries for a long time they just move from corporate careers or whatever they're doing where they could earn a lot of money and have like a very predictable type of career and they're betting a lot. So I guess that having this personal guarantee type of, of uh, uh, term in their uh, financing is, is just not variable. So um, that's one thing. And then in, uh, the other thing is that in many cases, they just don't qualify for SBA at all because they don't have the assets, because they don't have the track record. We've seen some SBA lenders um, using cash flows rather than, than, um, than assets for financing, but still they're not comfortable with online businesses because they don't understand it. Um, so that 
rewinding to how we started this business, we were going to be acquirers, right? We were going to acquire businesses. So we developed a whole uh, process for analyzing businesses. That was kind of the embryo of our current underwriting model. Um, so when we look at businesses, when we underwrite businesses, we look at them as if we were going to buy them. So it, we look at it from the same lens as, as a buyer. And that's super important because we take risks that maybe banks are not comfortable with. And, uh, and so that's why we can help all these, these people. So in the, uh, the reason the SBA wants asset-rich things, and uh, you know, even if you look at their loan programs, the, the length of the loan and the criteria, or the, uh, what do you call it, how the loan is structured, whether it's a seven-year or 30-year note, has a lot to do with what assets are attached to the business you're buying. So if you have real estate attached, you know, you can do a longer loan and spread the payment out over more years than if it's just assets. But the, you know, they're risk adverse in the fact that the ass, the reason they want assets is if you destroy this thing, they want something to sell to recover part of their, you know, part of this thing on a SaaS company and, or, and, or a lot of e-commerce companies, if you buy this thing and you don't run it well and you run it into the ground, there's just, there might be some inventory on e-commerce, but not enough probably to cover the acquisition expense that was laid out. How do you guys protect yourself? Is it just you you evaluate it as if you were buying it and make sure it's a great buy? Or is there any other way you protect yourself inside of that? So we take security over the assets themselves, which, uh, as you said, they're not real estate assets. They're just, uh, it could be an Amazon account or, or uh, tools, uh, clients, etc., attached to the, to the specific product that they're selling or, or a tool uh, that they're selling, software that they're selling, um, the IP, uh, the brand, etc. That sounds like not very solid collateral, but in our, I mean, what we think of is that we have a covenant uh, that says that if revenues go down 20% year on year for five consecutive months, then that's that's an event of default. And uh, obviously, the first approach is to negotiate and to find an agreed solution, uh, maybe a partial prepayment, a change in the terms. But if, if that doesn't happen in a short period of time, then we would take over the asset. So what we do is take over the asset before it gets uh, damaged beyond repair. So we can just sell it straight away and recover a part of the, uh, a part of the, of, of, of the loan of the principal. Um, so I'm an acquisition entrepreneur and that's kind of the nickname that, uh, we're adopting in this space. Uh, I don't, I think, uh, Walker Dable guy that wrote by then built, he, I think he might've coined the phrase. It might've been around before then, but I'm pretty sure that that's the first place I've ever seen it is in his book. So acquisition entrepreneur, somebody who buys a business rather than build it. I'm out there looking at say empire flippers or flippa.com or, you know, one of the other uh, sites I find an e-commerce store that I'm like, I'm really interested in. What is the criteria that I need to bring or what do I need to show you guys? What do I need to present to Bupos to, to get your interest? First of all, I, it's it's good to mention that we pre-approve a lot of deals. So if you find uh, a deal at Empire Flippers, Quiet Light, or, or whichever other broker that uh, you look into, there's a good chance that we have already pre-approved it. So we have like a listings page where you have all the pre-approved listings from all the brokers, and then you can just go there and, and take a look at that. 
And uh, I guess that if it's not pre-approved, it's because we just didn't, uh, it didn't go through our underwriting process. But uh, other than that, what do we look into? We Basically, we have like two blocks. One of them is what we call the quality of revenues. So that's that's kind of different for an e-commerce from a, an Amazon or, or for a SaaS business. So for a SaaS business, it's related to the stickiness of the client base. So we look at cohort metrics. We look at uh, how... Uh, how high or, or low is, is the churn and uh, how the, the users are being acquired and then retained. That's the type of thing. Um, and then for Amazon businesses, it's more like positioning within the marketplace, like whether the products are well-ranked, whether the competitors are um, having better reviews or worse reviews to the products that they're selling. These type of things are good predictors of um, continuity in revenues. So that's, that's the first block. And then the second block is more like financial metrics. So we look at the PNL for the, the monthly PNL for the last 24 months, and we extract a number of metrics. So we take into account seasonality, growth, um, acceleration or deceleration in, in growth in the last few months. Uh, we, like, we take a look at margins. So it's kind of important for us to uh, have businesses that have healthy margins that can repay our loans. Um, and we look at advertising costs as a percentage of, of revenue. So businesses that have more than 15% of, of advertising costs as a percentage of revenue are usually, that's usually a sign that their uh, organic uh, presence is not so strong. So that's, we, we try to steer away of that. We need two, two years of track record. So in some instances, we've uh, financed younger businesses, but in general, that penalizes a lot in the whole process. And uh, I mean, we're looking for businesses that are profitable so they can uh, repay us. We really don't need super high growth. It's 10 to 20% uh, year over year is fine. Um, and we look at businesses that have a very solid um, revenue base or revenue streams. That's that's the type of things uh, we, we look into. So for prior to the call, I actually, I guess I didn't do enough homework. I didn't see that you actually pre-approve uh, some of the listings. I see listings. I'm actually on your website now uh, at bupost.com. And I actually see under the acquire a business, you actually, you know, you have Amazon subscription based stuff in there, uh, stuff from Empire Flipper, stuff from what's this, uh, website closers.com and some other acquisition sources. So multiple pages of them. Let, let's say I'm going through this, I find something I like. Maybe I miss it and you just said that, but uh, what's the criteria of as me uh, as the acquisition entrepreneur? I, you've already, you've approved the business. What is what does the buyer um, and the operator need to bring to the table for you to to say that the buyer and operator is a match to the business? Yeah, Ron, I, I must say that you did your homework. It's just that is something very new. I think we just deployed a, a couple of weeks ago, and it's getting very good traction. But yeah, it's it's new. Um, okay. And yeah, you, 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 I mean, what you said makes a lot of sense. I mean, we pre-approve the business, but then as part of the underwriting process, we have to look at the buyer. We don't underwrite the buyer from a financial perspective. I mean, we, given that we're not taking personal guarantees, whether the buyer has good financial standing or not so good is not so relevant in our analysis, but we look at uh, management skills. We look at commitment into the business. We look at how uh, or their track record in owning, buying, operating businesses. This is the type of thing we look into. Uh, and, and we do that by having a personal interview and, and going through all these topics and uh, interacting with uh, the buyer over over time and throughout the process and making sure that we're partnering with the 
with the right person, with the right operator. Awesome. Now, you've got the right buyer, you got the right operator. Is and you, I noticed earlier you said something about you know you, you protect yourself by making sure there's not a significant de decline in the business. So, is there a quarterly reportings you got have access to my financials on a quarterly basis, a monthly basis, or what does that look like? So, before closing the deal, uh, or basically at closing, you will have to connect um, your merchant accounts. So we will have access to, to revenues. Actually, we're a revenue-based lender, so we will charge a percentage of revenues. Mm -hmm. So we will we will track revenues every month. That's uh, one thing. And then we will also ask for, for a connection to the bank account. So we can take a look at all the statements and, and movements of, of the bank account. Uh, so with those two things, that's that's good enough in terms of uh, reporting, etc. You don't. You, you wouldn't need to worry about um, about sending us financials every time. That's that's good information. What we also ask is for the annual tax return, uh, and uh, if there's an audit, then uh, audited financial statements. Usually, at this size of business, there's no audit. But that uh, yeah, that's something else that we that we need. So awesome. So uh, we have a lot of new. I wouldn't say new in as far as business goes, but new as far as uh, acquiring a business. Uh, listeners, people who are just getting into the acquisition entrepreneur space, they've run businesses before. They might have even sold or exited or they have a current business and they want to acquire to uh, grow. Um, what what inside of the um, inside of this process would you say indicates uh, you've already pre-approved these so i assume that you like these businesses but how, how would you if, if somebody was wanting to grow their business through acquisition and maybe add a, a software as a service to their company or add one of these you know amazon brands or e-commerce stores to their company what what is a good select selection criteria you're you're looking at this through the eyes of an investor you know what do you guys see as makes a good e-commerce store First of all, I guess that there has to be a match between the experience of the buyer and uh, uh, and the e-commerce store itself. Uh, we, for example, we recently uh, lent to a, a woman who was running a content site related to motherhood and uh, children, etc. And she was planning to buy uh, a stroller uh, and and pushchair uh, e-commerce store. So it made a lot of sense because she was going to direct traffic from her. Uh, content site to the e-commerce store, and she had experience in that segment. Uh, so I guess that, and and that's something that business own, future business owners and buyers uh, usually uh, tend to do very well. Like they they like to focus on on businesses they can manage, and then they can they can you know take take to the next level. Uh, from our perspective, we like to partner with that type of people and make sure that uh, that there's a match between the business and the and the buyer. And from the business standalone, so what, what does a good e-commerce uh, look like? Usually, they, they have a good uh, SEO positioning. They have a good uh, uh, authority in terms of the things that they're selling and, uh, and the way you would get to it organically. Um, they usually have re recurring clients, and it depends on the product a little bit. It could happen. Or it could not, but if if you connect to the Shopify account and you see that uh, there's a lot of recurring sales, then that means that the customer base is loyal and then will probably keep on buying products from the same store. Um, so I guess that those are some factors that are good predictors of, of a good investment. Um, 
and and we use that in our underwriting process but you know it, it will depend on a specific business so inside of this space is there any you know inside of the e-commerce and software as a service space or is there any things out there that you would say are red flags like if you were if, if we were out there not looking at your pre-approved list but if we were out there and we find something or somebody comes to us and they want to sell us a business is there anything that's that you know is just a huge red flag that would tell you that uh probably shouldn't look at that i mean i i mentioned profitability before and this is i mean i guess that there are businesses that can be turned around uh which is fine but um i mean if, if you have very thin profitability then it's going to be a challenge to repay our loan so we don't want to basically we want to make sure that we lend to people that can pay and uh and so profitability is important also because if you want to grow the business you will need some room for investing in marketing and buying additional inventory and uh and while we can provide follow-on financing for that uh it's it's useful to have um, profitability so that that would be one of the key factors um then i mean I, I guess that we're pretty flexible we've kind of approved many different types of businesses i it also worth mentioning that there's some categories that we just cannot lend on uh, so supplements uh, jewelry this type of uh, products also uh, low uh, low price electronics where there's a lot of competition from chinese providers that's the type of thing that we cannot lend on um, and it's usually because it's hard for us to assess the the what what i said what i called before the quality of revenues block of our underwriting model because um, in the end supplements come and go it's it's kind of hard so that that would be something that would be a no-go for us as well uh, but I guess that, I mean, these are not businesses that are essentially uh, bad. I mean, I, I wouldn't tell anyone not to buy that business just because we cannot lend on it. It's just that you will have to find another lending, uh, financing source, right? Right. So I uh, I clicked on the amount uh, of your financing so that I can get see what the biggest one is there. There's a couple on here that are, you know, you guys are willing to finance over a million dollars on. But the asking price on that is 5.5 or 5.25, 6.8 million. And uh, it looks like your financing is one. What is the uh, assumption that, you know, that the rest of the money is coming from? Is that from the buyer? Is that from a seller financing structure? Or what is your expectation of the, of the remaining balance coming from? And, and that's a good question. So basically we limit to, yeah, we limit it to 1.2 million. Uh, that's our maximum lending amount. And uh, that means that for bigger deals, we might not be as useful as for smaller deals. Um, over time, we expect to overcome that barrier and, and be able to lend up to three, maybe four million. So these deals, we could potentially in six months, maybe 12 months, uh, lend the full amount. In the meantime, we just produce these temp sheets because they're sometimes useful, actually. Uh, we've seen buyers that have a lot of equity and then a deal can be uh, arranged with a, a seller note plus some equity plus our loan. And even in some instances, we might end up being compatible with other sources of financing. We, we could even be um, a partner for an SBA loan. Uh, we could be junior to that if obviously there's, there's a big amount. So let's say that you have a 3 million loan from SBA then you can add uh, 1 million from us as a junior type of lender and then 1 million in equity. That's something that, that could be done. So I guess we're, we're flexible and we try to adapt to, to, um, to every situation. 
Um, to be fair, Ron, uh, in most instances, uh, in most instances at these bigger deals, we end up not lending because uh, they, they usually find another sources of, of funding that are kind of well structured for these type of bigger deals. I asked that for that's I wanted to see how flexible you guys were. And that's that's exactly the answer I was kind of looking for is, you know, it's the deal structure. A lot of times, you know, when, we're, when you're out there working these deals, you'll find yourself where you're almost there. You're, you know, like on these, the asking price is 5.25. You got the seller to do a seller carry back for, you know, four of it. And you got, you know, uh, two guys coming on for 500K a piece. You're at five. And now, you know, you need a, you know, you need just a little bit to push you over the line. So the fact that you guys are flexible and can work in that, in, in that realm is, uh, it's, it's very beneficial to the, the guys out there doing the work, like, you know, myself and some other people. What are one of my favorite things to always ask is, are there any like kind of preconceived notions or like uh, I want to say um, false beliefs in the e-commerce and SaaS space? Um, I mean, one of the one of the beliefs I have is SaaS, SaaS software as a service are grossly overpriced, meaning that the sellers of software as a services are wanting, you know, multiples that are just absurd in every other market. Uh, what are, what is is there any out there like is you know that you can, you know, say hey, there's great deals in this space anyway, or you know, are there other kind of myths or uh, disillusions, <laughs> as I, I might want to refer to them in this space that you guys know better? Yeah, actually, you mentioned uh, an important one. I mean, if you look at e-commerce deals, they usually price at maybe 2.5, three times, sometimes even four times profit or SDE. Um, if you look at SaaS businesses, they might be priced between five, six times. Uh, so you're paying a premium for that. Is that something that uh, doesn't make sense or is absurd? I, I don't think so, because many of these uh, software businesses have a very, very sticky client base. So that's something that no one can take away from you. And then there's in many instances, we've, we're seeing a lot of growth in them. So that's something that obviously you have to factor in the, in the price. What is true is that in many instances, some people believe that just because they have a SaaS, they, they deserve a, a seven times uh, multiple. And that's not the case. I guess that you have to differentiate between good SaaS businesses and, and not so good SaaS businesses. Um, so that, that's definitely a, a misconception that we have to work, uh, that we have to work with and, and we have to talk through. Um, another misconception that, that we've seen quite often is that um, just because a deal seems a little bit too big for you, it just cannot happen. If you have a motivated seller and you're motivated to buy the business, you you can end up striking a deal. So basically, we've seen sellers um, having uh, seller notes up to thirty to forty percent of the price of a business, and I know that's that's not the market usually, but in in some instances we've seen that. Uh, we've seen lenders pushing things. Uh, and, and providing bigger amounts. And we've seen buyers finding equity for a business that uh, they really think it, it, it can work. Uh, so I guess that in, in some instances, it feels like I just I, I don't want to pursue this opportunity because I don't think I'm going to make it. Um, but in the end, if, if you're motivated, if you like the business, if you know the business and you think you, and you have a business plan, that there are chances are high that you're going to find funding. I can see that. So you guys have been around since, what do you say, like 19 or 20? What was the year you started? 
late 2020. Uh, we were okay. live in early 2021. Uh, we started okay. planning. So, so you guys started late 2020. You got up and live in uh, 2021. So right at a year now, you're, you're going into, you're working on your second year. Uh, are you guys, how many deals have you actively funded at this point? Are you willing to share? We, we funded 30, 30 people, 30 different uh, buyers, and uh, a, a number of them have repeated or are looking to repeat. So that's, that's pretty good. If you look at a lot of what other venture capitalists and stuff like that do, uh, you know, that, you know, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but 30 deals in a year seems like quite a bit to analyze, evaluate, and, and do. So uh, that's pretty good volume. You're actively actually looking and funding businesses. Now, I noticed you also said they can actually get uh, funding for growth. So you do funding for the acquisition of the company, you do funding for growth. What are the other, uh, is that the two main things you focus on or is there other other stuff you? Those are the two main things we focus on. And I would say that our core product and our focus is acquisition financing. So, but if you're buying like an Amazon or an e-commerce store, uh, in many instances, you will require follow-on financing because you grow in the company, you need to buy inventory. So it makes sense for us to structure like a follow-on growth loan. Uh, sometimes we have also seen people who are actively looking to buy businesses and they already own a business, so they need a growth loan for that business while they seek to acquire uh, more businesses. So uh, again, in that situation, it also makes sense to uh, provide a growth loan. Uh, but but yeah, the core and, and our strategy is all kind of revolving towards uh, or revolving around uh, lending for acquisitions. Okay. What are the, uh, like, walk me through the process. I, I reached out to you. I'm a, I'm a buyer. Uh, I'm looking for one of these. I've reached out to you. I feel out, is it all online? I fill out forms online. There's an interview. What kind of questions would you ask me as the buyer? And then when you do the, so let's start with that. This is what questions would you, <coughs> I, I sometimes stack questions. Let's just, just do one at a time. <laughs> what kind of questions would you ask of me on that first call as a buyer? Like, kind of walk me through that. So I guess that, I mean, there's two things here. One is the process with uh, our origination team, which is a, a live process where you interact with the origination team. And that's kind of like an ongoing process throughout the, the whole acquisition. And then on the other hand, you have the our online app uh, for applying online and providing all the documents, et cetera. And they can just proceed at, at the same time, more or less. So it, usually the process starts with an interview with our initiation team. And that's just for kind of setting uh, a little bit uh, the way we work, uh, explaining how the product works, uh, explaining how we interact throughout the whole acquisition process. And, uh, and we also get a sense of um, the background of the buyer, uh, the amount of money that he's uh, willing to invest, and I'm talking about our equity, we need uh, buyers to invest alongside us. Um, we look at uh, their experience. So it's kind of what we call a pre-qualification to make sure that we can we can partner with that uh, buyer. And then, then comes the online process, which is, uh, it, it's pretty straightforward. You can just apply online. It's like a, a very linear process where you just upload the, the PNL for the last 24 months, maybe an info memo that you have from a broker, uh, some other information that you have gathered in the in your um, process of understanding the, the business. And if you have an LOI, that you, you can upload the LOI. But usually most of the buyers 
uh, apply before sending an LOI to make sure that they have access to funding and, and make sure that they can meet uh, and, and, uh, and close a deal before sending an LOI. Um, and then throughout that process, there's usually more interaction with our origination team. And that's where we uh, end up proceeding with an interview where, where we ask the, the type of questions that I said before, like, have you managed a business before? What type of business have you managed before? Um, do you have a business plan for this particular business? And what type of due diligence do you expect to uh, perform? Um, what type of resources are you going to commit in terms of managing this business? That's, that's the type of questions that we ask. Um, but I guess that it's it's a more kind of interactive or organic process. There's, there's a number of conversations throughout the process because in the end, acquiring a business is, is a complex process. Uh, and there's a lot of interaction, there's a lot of back and forth. And we use all those small interactions to understand whether we're partnering with the right person or with someone um, that we're going to be able to deal with for the next five years. Because in the end, that's that's what we're looking for. I was about to ask, Ed, what is this, what is the structure of the, uh, you say they were revenue-based loans, so you're taking a percentage of revenue to pay back the loan. Um, what do you see kind of as the... Uh, and I bet it's done off risk and stuff, but what is the range of like kind of interest rate or how that works and duration of the loan? So we are targeting a, a five year average repayment period and uh, an absolute multiple of 1.6 times. So that gives you more or less the idea of, of the annual absolute return that we're looking to, uh, which is between 12 and 15%. Um, we charge monthly installments, so we, we collect uh, revenue every month based on a percentage of the revenues of each month. And, uh, and this, the, rev the percentage of revenues depends on the amount that we're lending, depends on the margin of the business, so it's not a, a set um, amount. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's more or less how it works. So you, you set those based off of the revenue of the business and the profit margins so that, I mean, because if you said 25% of revenue and you're not making a 25% profit margin, <laughs> the, the company just can't survive. So it looks like you, you evaluate what basically stays in the business and you take a percentage of uh, what you call it, net revenue or whatever, or gross, net profit instead of gross, um, somewhere in that range, right? So, yeah, so a business that is making 25% profit I mean, we, we would just target um, taking between 15 and 20 percent uh, maximum uh, royalty every month uh, just to make sure that there's enough cash flow and enough headroom for making the business growth uh, grow. OK, so I got I came to you. We did our first interview. Uh, we, we buy the business. You guys fund it. I'm, I'm, I'm submitting you know, my, my, uh, you guys have access to my, my internal systems or whatever. You can see my revenue and stuff. Um, are there any other things that you do for these, for these individuals? It looks like there's a, a play to, as you're pre-approving these, do you, does your algorithm or, is your, or does your team actually identify areas where, Hey, we've got another one out there. There's another one available that would really help you grow. It's right in your target space. Do you, do you encourage the purchase of, uh, of other like similar businesses to help these guys grow? That's that's something that we do. Yeah, that's something that we do. We're implementing uh, an algorithm to do it automatically, but right now it's our team just looking at businesses that come our way. And uh, we have a, a comprehensive database 
um, where we can see the interests of each of our clients and we're using that data for sending businesses this way because in I mean I would say that 90% of the people we work with are planning to buy they're not aggregators they just don't want to aggressively buy tens of businesses but they're they like to be business owners and they are definitely motivated to own two, maybe three related businesses, our portfolio of maybe up to five. And uh, and so that's why uh, actually we get very good feedback of the product. So it makes sense for us to, to, to push businesses that way. Well, and it's an excellent way for them to grow, right? Let's just pick a, a niche. Like if I had a, a holistic, organic type of natural product that's in the luxury space and you come across somebody who's selling something in that space it fits my luxury you know buyers you know they like high-end products it's natural organic or some all fit in that holistic kind of view you know it only makes sense if i'm successfully running something for you and or not for you but for me and i'm paying you on a regular basis and it's growing that you'd want to you know help me grow even further by going hey there's another one here you should probably pick this one up Right. Because I've got a proven track. I mean, if I was sitting in your shoe, I'd want to loan more money to the guys with proven track records. Right. Like they're up, they're running. Here's another one. Let's put this in there. You know, and and so uh, does Bupos do that type of advisory or is you? I know you're talking about algorithms and stuff. Are you currently doing advisory services in, in this space or is it pretty much just loaning and uh, monitoring? It, our business model is, is lending. That's where we make the money. But we do it. We obviously do that. We send businesses uh, to, to people where we feel there's an opportunity because we get the chance of, of lending more. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, as you said, we want to lend on people who have good track record. Uh, so it makes sense for us. But we don't charge any type of advisory fees. We leave that to the brokers. We like to partner with brokers. And uh, and that's uh, we're in our place. The brokers are in their place. And uh, and and that's the way it should be. Um, Let's talk about source of funds for just a second. Cause I know I have, I have uh, myself and other people have source of funds to, to invest. Um, do you guys, you know, invest your own money? Do you borrow money from the banks? Do you did, or did you do like a raise a fund? Um, you know, what is the source of money that you're lending out and how do you, you know, how do you grow that? Cause I, uh, you know, over time, uh, it's going to grow through interest and other stuff, but there's, I mean, are you, are you still bringing in investors or how does that work? So we closed a funding round uh, in December, 2021. So mm-hmm. we have basically, we have VC investors in our cap table. That's part of the equity and that's how we finance our company. But then for funding the loans, we partner with, uh, with a, a UK hedge fund called uh, Fasanara. Mm-hmm. So these guys are specialists in in fintech, in lending businesses, and they set up a specific structure for us. Um, so we can, I, at this stage, we would be able to lend up to two hundred million in the next uh, in the next twelve months. I we have to be careful with that, but these 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 guys are very, are very good partner. They have billions of assets under management. That's awesome. So you're you as long as they meet the criteria, you guys you, you guys can create the volume. So that's what I was going to like uh where I was headed with that question is, you know, are you going to run into a point where there's more people wanting to borrow than you can lend? But with with the backer like that, it looks like you guys can uh if you're careful and meet their criteria on a regular basis, you can continue this uh, you know, moving forward. It's always there's always a question about that like for me anyway when I'm looking at a company that's been around for less than 5 years, is what is the risk that you know i 
acquire a business, I set up a structure with you and all of a sudden you have trouble, right? Is there anything, you know, is there anything inside of the notes or anything like that where they could get called due if you guys are in trouble or is it just structured as it's five years? Kind of like I own or finance a lot of houses. If at any, at any given time, if I get hit by a bus, whoever gets those notes has to live up to the notes. The contracts are there. If somebody acquires them, assumes the rights of them or anything else through uh, through my trust or whatever, they still have to adhere to that contract. Uh, what's the risk to a acquisition entrepreneur if something happens to Bupos? Is it is it contractually sound? Uh, I mean, we are a principal lender, so we are the, the main counterpart and uh, well, the only counterpart. Uh, and I guess it's it's kind of pretty standard uh, terminology in terms of, of uh, the legals. Uh, so what what happens is something, if something happens to Bupons, in principle, nothing. You still have to uh, pay your debts uh, as as is in the contract. Um, that's that's the way it works. Yeah, I, I expected that, but you have to ask, right? <laughs> yeah. So no, no way to get rid of us. So easy. No, I wasn't worried more about the uh, you know, um, you know, not having to pay it if something happened to you guys. I was more concerned that whoever acquires you can change the terms of the deal, right? No, uh, that's not that's not the case. I mean, our our contracts are are fairly standard and they follow standard practices in lending. So. Yeah, you would have you would have had to have specifically added something into the contract to allow it to be adopted to a new buyer. So that's why I was asking. So we've been on here for about forty minutes. We're hitting close to that top of that hour stuff. Is there any key hot points you like we should have talked about, or things that you know you feel that we really need to uh, to let the listeners know about? Well, um, I I guess that the market is pretty hot. We we still see a lot of people. I mean, that's that's something that I. We might want to discuss uh, the, the opportunities that are out there, right? We we still see a lot of uh, people um, buying businesses and trying to buy businesses. The online space is super hot, um, and I I mean some something that I'm experiencing is the interest of the buyers shifting from asset class to asset class. We, for example, we get a lot of uh, inbound requests for content sites. Um, that's something that we, we didn't see before. We do, we're not getting so much interest for Amazon, and uh, I, I guess that there's a reason for that. It was super hot a couple of years ago, and now it's it's not so much. Um, but still, there are very some businesses, and I if if I were actively looking to buy businesses, I I would definitely look into buying Amazon businesses. And uh, and this is the type of thing that uh, that I get to discuss all the time with uh, with the business brokers, right? How how the space is evolving and 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 what the trends are in in acquiring businesses. So if you've listened to previous shows, you already know I have a bias against Amazon businesses for the sole purpose of I don't want to invest in anything or put my all my eggs in anybody's basket where there's a single or sole uh, decision maker who could ruin my day, right? If you look at a lot of the content made for ad, there was a, you know, 10, 15 years ago now, it's been a long time. Um, there were a lot of these made for ad sense type of businesses. I have friends that were doing really good with that and then google changed their algorithm and these guys were nearly broke i have friends who had some really cool e-commerce plays that were a hundred percent affiliate marketing uh, a lot of them are using amazon one of them i can think of right now um i won't say his name on here but he had an e-commerce type of website where he did reviews on sound equipment audio equipment and stuff like that and was making high six figures uh with his amazon affiliate 
they strange their structure, go from, I want to say it was like 10% to 2%. And he's absolutely, it barely covers his marketing cost, right? It, it, it really literally destroyed him. What does your gut feel on like buying a business like Amazon, you know, an Amazon store and having the risk that they just decide to take that product in house and sell one of their competing products with it or, uh, for some reason or another, change policies, rules, or whatever, and make it really expensive for uh, somebody owning the store to, to succeed. Yeah, I, I had a few scary stories too. I I guess that I had more scary stories at uh, at uh, the content space than at the Amazon space itself. Um, in I mean, the Amazon marketplace is huge. Um, they have made changes, but it, it would just kill themselves. Right? Like Amazon just pushing too much on their uh, suppliers or the, or, or the sellers would be just, um, uh, it, it, would be, it wouldn't be beneficial for them at all. So I, I don't think there's so much of a risk. But yeah, we've seen changes uh, in the rules of the marketplace and uh, we've seen sellers um, needing to adapt to those rules, but we haven't seen that many sellers being squeezed out of the of the marketplace itself. Whereas we've seen, uh, yeah, changes in in the way advertising works uh, that have uh, made businesses disappear from one day to another, and that's why we're very cautious with with content businesses. We're we're starting to explore them. Uh, we want to underwrite them at some point in time. We financed, um, I guess one uh, as an experimental type of uh, loan and uh, so we can learn a little bit um, but uh, we, we still need to learn a, a little bit more about uh, how to protect yourself against this kind of black swan type of, of uh, events you know it's interesting is you had the same answer the last three guys i brought that question to because they they were like yeah you got to buy amazon stores i'm like yeah Amazon can squash, you know, step on your big toe anytime they want. They all three answered, and you just answered pretty much the same thing, that the Amazon marketplace, that these stores are such a significant portion of their revenue. If they harm those individuals, uh, it would hurt themselves like considerably. So I get that. So maybe it won't be overnight, but I'm just still concerned about the, you know, they make gradual changes that benefit them more. Like a, good, a good example would be the fulfillment by Amazon, right? Fulfillment by Amazon is fairly pricey. I know uh, I've been talking, uh, uh, talked to two different people that are like familiar with the aggregator space. And some of the aggregators out there, the reason they're doing what they're doing is they're buying these businesses that do fulfillment by Amazon. And the aggregator itself has its own logistics and own um, uh, ability to do fulfillment. And that's how they push the profit margin way up. They buy very profitable stores that are using fulfillment by Amazon, and then they take over the fulfillment side of it and, uh, you know, push their profits up. Um, but, you know, so... On the, I, on the other hand, uh, usually Amazon tries to give uh, more visibility to FBA uh, products rather than to FBM products. So it's, you know, it's, it's a twofold type of... Uh, decision right do you uh do you ask your uh, like your amazon brands and your amazon stores to actually do anything like have a second like a, like a shop of ice store or you just let them run the way they were set up yeah we're, we're not operators i mean we don't want to get uh in the middle of the strategy and we let them decide yeah cool well we're we are at close to the top of the hour and stuff is there any last thoughts or any um you know 
things you want to uh, say. I, I do want people to know that we, we have your con uh, connection information on the screen. Um, and uh, that's one, and I'm not going to even pretend to say, say your last name for me. Garcia Brasti. Okay. And then I'm going to spell it for everybody. So or, yeah, if you want to find him on LinkedIn, it's uh, the, the standard HTTPS, www.linkedin.com slash in. And it's uh, J-I-G-A-R-C-I-A-B, right? That's, that's his thing. Or you can probably search for uh, Juan, which is J-U-A-N. And then his last name is... Uh, Garcia, G-A-R-C-I-A, -A, and then uh, B-R-A-S-C-H-I. I butcher everybody's name, so I'm not going to try yours. I just know I'm not going to spit that out right. Uh, I don't... Uh, they, can, they could just also Google Bupos, right? And, uh, yeah, Bupos. And that's exactly how it's, it sounds. It's B-O-O-P-O-S, Bupos.com. And uh, I would recommend you guys, if you're listening to this and you're even curious... Go dig through that list of companies they pre-approved and see. I mean, there's some, there's, there's quite a, you, know, you got five or six pages of them on there right now, and uh, you know, take a look. And it's, you know, it's with Empire, you know, uh, Flippers, uh, Dragon Flip, it's a lot of the name brands out there. Uh, you know, WebsiteClosers.com. Uh, you have a lot of those already pre-looked at, and you're interested in funding them if you match meet the right operator for it. So, uh, I would recommend the, uh, the listeners go there. Uh, take a look. I'll put both your contact information, um, you know, LinkedIn and your Boo Post link in the show notes, and um, you know, in the description of of the uh, the show when it comes out. So, um, I appreciate you for being on here, man. I really do. All right, thank you, Ron. It was a great pleasure to chat with you, and uh, yeah, happy to be here. And I, I hope it helped um, potential buyers and business owners to. I think it will. Uh, I, think it, it, yeah. I think it fulfills a need in the space and, and it opens people's eyes, right? A lot of people think that e-commerce is hard to fund. Uh, software as a service is hard to fund. They're going to have to go to the private, you know, hunt down private investors and stuff. Now they know they've you know, got somebody else in their, on their side that's willing to look at it and help fund it. And they can still do private investors. They may even need to do a little bit of private investor and you guys or, you know, multiple, you know, multiple sources to get the deal done. But knowing resources like you guys exist is is uh, will I think it'll open opportunities to a lot of people that might have written off you know buying an e-commerce store or software as a service because they didn't think they had had enough funds to do it on their own uh, to be significant. So uh, I think this would be a good win. I hope so. I hope so. We're here to All help. Right. I appreciate you, and that's the show today. So everybody, All right. everybody, hang out for just a second afterwards, and we'll wrap it up. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer -peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T I E pm.com and check out the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind.